Sam Stepanian is an OWASP chapter leader and an independent application security consultant with over 20 years of experience in the IT industry with a background in software and web app development. Sam has worked for various financial services institutions in the City of London, specializing in AppSec consulting, SDLC, developer training, source code reviews, and vulnerability management. He's also a subject matter expert in web app firewalls and SIM systems. Sam holds a master's degree in software engineering and a CISSP certification. Sam joins us to introduce us to OWASP NetHacker. He describes the tool's capabilities, how you can put it into use in various scenarios for asset generation and vuln scanning, and how you can contribute to the project going forward. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Sam Stepanian. You are now listening to the Application Security Podcast brought to you by Security Journey. When you finish this episode, check out our other show, High Five, to stay up to date with all the hot AppSec news. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Application Security Podcast. And this is Robert Hurlbut. I am the Principal Application Security Architect and Threat Modeling Lead at Acquia. And I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Romeo. Hey, Chris. Hey, Robert. Chris Romeo, Chief Security Officer at Security Journey and... Happy to be here to discuss all things application security. I don't know that we're going to cover all the things, but we'll cover some segment of it for today. Absolutely. And today we have Sam uh, Stepanian. Thank you for joining us, Sam. Thank, thanks so much for inviting me. Hi there. Hi, Chris. Hi, Robert. Absolutely. Hello. So like we uh, typically do, we'd like to start off with your security origin story. How did you get into this great world of application security? Yeah, my story, I think, is quite typical for most AppSec people because I started my journey as a developer and um, not pretty much concerned about security 20 years ago uh, because, well, as you know, that was the problem. And uh, the reason why I moved into security is um, I got promoted to be a team lead and I had several developers reporting to me and we were looking at one of the applications that my team was developing. And this was actually an e-commerce system uh, selling tickets to uh, British railway um, operators. So people can just go online and say, I want to buy a train ticket. And uh, I discovered to my horror that uh, the credit card numbers were stored in uh, my SQL database completely unencrypted. And I thought, okay, that's, that, that, that is not right. And then that kind of coincided with PCI DSS started coming out, uh, actually quoting OWASP top 10. And uh, that's how I meant OWASP. I said, okay, let's go check out what is this OWASP top 10, uh, because I knew already that uh, storing credit card numbers unencrypted was a, a big problem. And uh, yeah, that's that's how my journey started. And I moved on from um, development into application security and yeah, absolutely love it since then. Um, since then I worked uh, for several companies. Uh, biggest stint I had was at NTT Security. Uh, and uh, in a consultancy, security consultancy role. Uh, and uh, then I uh, went uh, independent and at the moment I was an independent application security consultant working primarily within the financial services sector here in the city of London. So uh, people like banks, investment funds are my typical, typical customers. And that's where I help development teams uh, to uh, write more secure code and, of course, uh, help um, the management understand the application security posture. 
And you're part of the OWASP chapter there too, right, in London? That's right, yeah. So uh, in, uh, I think, 2007, 2008, I've discovered that there is an OWASP London chapter. I started attending the meetings as the regular attendee. And in November 2015, so now I think I will be celebrating seven years of uh, becoming an OWASP London chapter leader. The previous chapter leader uh, moved to a different country uh, because of job and family purposes, as far as I remember. And he offered uh, to myself and to uh, another very keen OWASP London chapter uh, meeting attendees, uh, Sharif Mansour. Um, uh, to basically take over the chapter leadership and to continue in his absence. And that's what we've been doing uh, for the past uh, seven years. Um, uh, I would say the chapter is quite successful. We have uh, quite a large number of members uh, um, and um, trying to run uh, regular meetings. You know, next meeting is going to be in a couple of weeks' time. Um, so, yeah, love absolutely everything about OWASP, uh, attending quite a few uh, global AppSec conferences. Uh, and we actually hosted one back in 2018. That was the um, OWASP Global AppSec Europe, which got renamed to AppSec London. I think that was the first year when we started uh, uh, naming cities instead of uh, regions uh, uh, for the global conferences. And Chris, that's where I met you, where you presented your talk. Uh, Back in yeah, that was a great, uh, great event to be a part of. And I guess just a plug for any AppSec people in the U.S., one of the big things that I found when I visited the, the EU conference, there's a whole other population of people there that don't come to like AppSec U.S. They're not going to be in San Francisco this year. But there's a whole other segment of the AppSec population. So you can, you can get to know some, a completely different set of people that are still, they love the same things we love. They love OWASP and all the different projects and stuff. So I guess that's a plug. If you ever get a chance, um, the next global AppSec in Europe is in Dublin in the February timeframe. And, uh, the call for papers just reopened again for a short period of time. So you might be able to sneak a paper submission in there somewhere. But the, uh, the focus of this conversation, we want to learn, Sam, about this project NetHacker. And so I thought we would start, let's start by just defining what NetHacker is, because I, I, I can say I had heard about it, but I didn't have a whole lot of perspective when I originally kind of started talking to you about this. So what is NetHacker? Well, you're not alone, Chris, because um, when I first about, heard about NetHacker, I was just like you. I, I saw NetHacker appearing somewhere in the list of OWASP projects. So I tried uh, looking at it and figuring out what it does. And then I couldn't understand what it was doing. So I just closed it and forgot about it. And that uh, kind of changed in uh, 2018 in December time, because uh, for the listeners here, in case if you don't know, we actually have Black Hat Europe conference, which is basically a sister event to Black Hat USA. So Black Hat USA happens in uh, Las Vegas uh, every year around August time. And Black Hat Europe happens in London every December. So uh, we, out of the blue, I had an email from um, a few guys from OWASP NetHacker projects, and they were saying, hello, OWASP London chapter leaders. We are the project leaders of uh, NetHacker project. Unfortunately, for whatever reasons, we're unable to travel to London in time to demonstrate our project because there's going to be a demo of it at the uh, Black Cat Europe Arsenal track. Uh, would you be so kind to uh, present our project instead of us? And 
myself and my chapter co-leader, uh, Dr. Greg Frakos, we said, yes, of course, we'd like to help our fellow uh, OWASPers. And, but we had no idea what was that project. So we got on a Zoom call with the uh, uh, project leaders and they walked us through the project. We absolutely loved it. And um, we, uh, the morning after, we went to Black Hat Europe and uh, I took my laptop, connected it to a big screen and opened the tool. And suddenly we had hundreds and hundreds of conference attendees wandering around the business hall of Black Hat Europe, coming to our booth and looking at the demo. And uh, I figured that there's something, something very interesting about this project. Why is it attracting so many people? And the reason is because uh, NetTaka is quite an interesting tool because what it actually is, it is a... Um, well, we can call it an uh, automated penetration testing framework or a vulnerability scanner. The whole idea of it is that it is a uh, framework written in Python. And the idea is it's a modular framework and you can have various modules performing different tasks. And uh, these tasks, they all provide uh, the outcome of the work of that module into a, a very nice consumable form into a report form. And one of the other great things about Netaka, because obviously one of the first module that we had there was a port scanner. And people say, oh, what's the difference between something like Nmap and uh, Netaka? And I said, well, hang on. Well, one of the uh, differences, of course, is uh, Netaka is, uh, first of all, is written in Python and is written in such a way that it's a little bit kinder to a network because Nmap is known to cause all sorts of issues if you start to run port scans on your network. But another great advantage is that NetHacker has a built-in database and that is what's great about it. So it's a, a small, very handy kind of Swiss army knife tool with lots of modules and every scan you run with it is stored in the database. And because it's a command line tool, you can automate it. You can run it in a batch script. You can run it in your CI/CD pipeline. You can run it as a scheduled job overnight. And uh, that's that's basically what Netaka is. But the origin story, because of course we want to talk about the origin story. Originally, Netaka was called IoT Scan. That used to be called OWASP IoT Scan Project. And the idea that the original project leaders had for it was to um, uh, run it on the network where you have lots of IoT devices, for example, um, uh, security cameras, right? And I actually did run the attacker on a network where you have security cameras. And the tool will go and discover all the open ports on all the devices attached to the network. It will go discover all the services and it will also try to do some brute forcing. So that uh, was unique. So it was combining things like scanning for services and open ports and also trying to brute force its way. And obviously, as we know, uh, IoT and Internet of Things devices, they still have this problem of default credentials. I think there are probably hundreds of various IoT device manufacturers which, which still have something like admin admin as a default username and password. And this is a great task that the attacker can achieve. And I actually... Uh, had a uh, an engagement with a uh, financial services institution in London. We did exactly that. So I took that attacker. I ran it on my customer's local network. It scanned uh, because they said we have a whole bunch of uh, security cameras. We don't know where they are. We don't know how many we have, and we don't have know how many of them still have the default credentials admin admin. So that hacker was perfect because I just 
took it to the, to the network, uh, connected performance scan of the entire IP range of all the network, found the uh, devices, the uh, uh, webcams, because they were responding with a specific server banner. And uh, then I ran a uh, brute force scan and I found whole bunch of them. I think probably about 20% of the cameras still had default credentials admin admin. So, and for this being an OWASP tool, and uh, this is actually quite unique because um, I don't think you can actually perform this kind of task with um, any other tool really. And uh, another advantage of it is, uh, again, I keep bringing it up every time when I uh, speak about Nataka. I've got quite a few presentations on Nataka. You can probably check them out on YouTube because I presented talks about Nataka at various conferences. Um, I'm quite proud of it because this is a very unique thing. All Nataka results can be presented in a uh, old style, but very useful uh, spreadsheet format. So. Uh, it's a security tool which can go scan your network, find all the open ports, find all the vulnerabilities, do some broad forcing and give you a whole list of the default credentials and on which devices they actually, um, these default credentials are still enabled and give you a nice uh, spreadsheet. So it's, uh, <laughs> I think it's quite unique. So it's not just the JSON. So other formats include, of course, JSON, which is a structured format to be consumed by other tools, XML or text or HTML report. But the fact that the also CSV output is produced, it's instant um, value, added value is, I think, absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and let's not forget, I mean, Microsoft Excel is a security tool. So there was a... Exactly. Well, name name a company that. which doesn't use Excel as a security tool. But, and the security uh, yeah. team—that is the—that is one of the foundational tools that we use. And you know, someday I'll figure out how to do a pivot table. Like I can exactly. fake it right now, but just that's because Excel carrying me forward. Uh, so, so you you were not Sam. You were not one of the original founders then. Of I wasn't. The I wasn't the original founder. I joined it a probably a year and a half later because uh, the uh, leaders invited me to become a project leader straight away. And uh, one of the great things that we did with Nantucker is uh, we uh, enlisted it into Google Summer of Code project. And for those of you who don't know. Google Summer of Code is an initiative by Google, which is run every year. And that is the initiative allows students to spend their summer breaks to actually work and collaborate on open source code. And there are various open source organizations. OWASP is one of them, uh, where students can basically submit an application and say, well, I would like to work on project uh, XYZ, and this is what I propose to do. And uh, these proposals are then being reviewed, and then Google allocates slots. And these uh, students now get a chance to work for uh, during the uh, summer breaks on this open source project and actually get paid by Google. So this is a uh, very useful uh, thing initiative because uh, students get to uh, work with experienced mentors. Uh, they also uh, have an opportunity to implement their ideas. They also get an opportunity to uh, um, probably enhance their knowledge of the programming language and the way how things work, probably uh, how open source and GitHub works. And of course, uh, it's a mutual win-win situation. So we were actually quite lucky because we had uh, students from Google Summer of Code working on Attacker over a number of years. And um, 
um, that's why the project is where it is today. And um, I uh, quite frequently, when I speak about NetHacker, I actually look at GitHub stars and how popular it, the project has become. Because if you order all the OWASP projects by the number of GitHub stars, and you look at basically top 10 projects, we were, NetHacker was like number 10 in the OWASP GitHub projects top 10. And I think it's now uh, number eight in the list of uh, top 10 most start on github project so a lot of people love it because it's in python people like the fact that it's python a lot of people including myself like the fact that it doesn't use any external tool so it doesn't actually execute nmap or any other tool all the scanning functionality is written in python itself that makes it possible to run the attacker on uh, anything which supports python for example i managed to run it on raspberry pi and that's absolutely brilliant, which means mm. you can have a security scanning device on running Raspberry Pi and Python, which will scan your network, uh, scan your applications, and tell you about the vulnerabilities, open ports, and uh, brute force credentials. What about um, performance? So when I hear you describe it's written in Python, it doesn't call external tools. Like one of the things about Nmap, Nmap runs at the speed of light. Like it can scan something so quickly um, because, you know, it's written in a lower level language so that it can optimize and go. Um, not written in Go, but it's written in a way that it can it can go fast. So when I hear something's written in Python, I immediately think, oh, it's probably going to be a little bit slow if it's natively doing all these things. What's your what's your perspective as someone who's used this on the performance side of, of NetHacker? Yeah, so from a performance perspective, uh, we recently made some improvements because rather than using Python's request library, we switched to the asynchronous same put output HTTP library, or HTTP, which has increased the performance significantly. And of course, another thing about uh, NetTucker is you can actually control the, the speed because the way how the scans work, uh, it's all multi-threaded and the user is actually in control of how many threads per scan you wish to use. So for each module, for example, if you want to do a, let's say, a port scan on a network, you can go say, this is how many threads I would like to launch. And once a scanning thread hits a host on your network, then you can define how many um, uh, sub-threads per each host you want to go and look for, let's say, open ports or for vulnerabilities. So performance is actually quite good and is uh, improved recently. And uh, again, the, one of the main advantage uh, of uh, NetTucker is that it's not just port scanning. It's the fact that it, at the moment it has three different types of scanning modules. So one is is basically your generic scanning. So again, that could be a port scanning or say um, subdomain scanning and subdomain Scan is actually very important to NetHacker because it's one of the key uh, modules. Another type or category of modules that it has is a vulnerability scanning module. So these modules are looking for a particular vulnerability. And the idea is you send a specific payload to the target, and then you expect a specific response to be returned. And of course, if you're looking for something in response, which indicates that the uh, target is vulnerable to this vulnerability, then say, yeah, there you go, this IP address or this subdomain or this server is actually vulnerable. So that's a vulnerability scanning module. And the third most important type of um, modules inside NetHacker is brute force modules. And you can brute force using 
telnet, SSH, you know, HTML forms. So, you know, if you have applications which have your traditional username, passwords, um, or FTP, uh, NTLM, various, various ways how, uh, NetHacker can actually scan the network, um, and perform brute forcing. And, uh, for brute forcing, uh, again, you can use any dictionary you want because, again, you can provide a, um, username and password dictionary and the command line and you can uh, supply uh um for example quite well known password and username dictionaries that you can get from GitHub and various other projects. And you know, there's a few of them built into Kali Linux, for example. So uh I think that that combination is actually what uh of three different types of modules is what making the attacker quite unique and why more and more people uh, start uh, using it. Um, and um, I think that's what makes it quite unique as an uh, um, OWASP project, as a, a very handy little scanner, as an incubator project, a student project, but it is maturing. And I think every summer we uh, improve it a little bit more. In, in terms of, uh, you mentioned vulnerabilities and having a library of vulnerabilities. How, how often is that? updated and and how do uh, somebody who's using uh, attack how would they get those updates that is a very good question Robert and that's probably what I'm being asked quite frequently whenever I talk about attacker um, the problem with attacker just like with any other open source projects is that it is run by vo volunteers so um, we don't really have a team which watches for any new CVEs released daily and uh, um, and utilizing, you know, uh, writing modules, which of course it can be done. It, it's just, you know, because it, it is a volunteer based project. We don't really have uh, that team. However, there are uh, pre existing modules on quite a lot of CVEs there already, uh, which I think is uh, quite important. Um, whenever there's something big, you know, we did have quite a few very big vulnerabilities uh, hitting the headlines. For example, um, I wrote a module for the uh, Citrix CVE, which uh, back in 2019 was uh, quite big. Uh, and I think a lot of people using Citrix devices were affected. And um, again, the question is, if, if you don't know how many vulnerable devices you have on your network uh, and where they are, what are the IP addresses, um, how do you solve this problem? Of course, you can do it with the commercial tools, but OWASP uh, NetHacker solves it with an open source tool. And I remember at uh, one of the Black Hats, I think Black Hat to Europe 2019, I had someone approaching me from a very large charity organization. And I said, Sam, thank you very much for this tool because we're a charity. So we cannot actually afford to spend uh, lots of money on commercial tours, tools, but they use NetHacker to actually scan and find vulnerable Citrix devices on the network because that was a very big CVE back then. And uh, we helped them out. Another very big one was uh, Proxy Shell um, last year, right? In, in uh, March, 2021. And of course there were lots of Microsoft Exchange service um, affected by it. And I uh, released a, um, a module. So we, we, our team worked on it. We, we uh, very quickly wrote the blog post saying OWASP NetHacker is a free open source tool, uh, which has a module allow you to scan uh, for vulnerable Microsoft Exchange service uh, with CV 2021, I think it's 26855. Uh, that was a proxy shell vulnerability. And uh, yeah, we even had a um, um, 
some of the government's uh, cybersecurity authorities approaching us. So, so let's say it was if these were small small countries in uh, southern Europe who actually sent me a big thank you saying, uh, Sam, thank you very much for Western Attacker because we used it to scan our entire country's IP ranges and we found organizations which are still running vulnerable versions of a uh, Microsoft Exchange Server. Mm -hmm. And as far as I remember, I think, Chris, is a very unique thing because um, I think even uh, US government and FBI got involved in uh, you know patching proxy shell back then and um, the, uh, it was very, very big last year. But again, these are the examples. But to answer que your question, it is not very frequent because we would always, we, we would, we would love to have people to contribute and write new modules for CVs whenever a new vulnerability is out. But because it is volunteer based, uh, uh, usually we would only uh, write the module ourselves if uh, there is a very big vulnerability making headlines. But of course, because it's open source project, everyone's welcome to uh, write a new module and submit a pull request on GitHub. Hmm. Yeah, and we're recording this interview the day after the, uh, the latest OpenSSL vulnerability came out and kind of fizzled a little bit, you know, as it went from critical to high to, you know, how exploitable is this actual thing? But yeah, that's a good, and it's, 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 it sounds like y'all are doing you're doing a lot of work towards making updates as much as you can in an open source world. That's with a project that's staffed by volunteers, but it's really cool to hear that, you know, you're getting some feedback from folks around the world where you're building a tool that has an impact on charitable organizations that can't spend money on smaller governments of the world, which may not have, you know, full on cyber departments with thousands of people in it. And so that's, that's just, that's one of the powers of open source right there is you, they, they don't have to, to write a check to be able to use this technology. And so kudos to you and the team for just driving that through. Um, I did want to bring this back around and get super practical now. And so when we think about, our developer people that are listening, our AppSec people, um, I think they probably have a little bit, they're probably starting to, to put together in their minds how they can put this into, into use inside of their companies. But Sam, I'd love it if you just lay out for us, uh, for a developer, for an AppSec person, let's say they have a pretty immature program right now. So they don't have a lot of commercial tools and things that are doing, doing different scans and whatnot. What would be your recommendation slash advice for how they take NetHacker and bring it into their organization and really get the most value out of it? Uh, yes, definitely. So um, NetHacker, first of all, will be very useful for uh, network security and application security teams within the organization, especially, as you mentioned, if they don't have an established uh, you know, commercial tooling. Uh, what I find interesting, of course, in terms of potential users, it's not necessarily, but charities is one good example, right? The people who have a very limited budget uh, to spend on the commercial tooling for scanning networks, but usually charities are the organizations which actually have very large networks uh, because uh, a lot of charities doing a lot of, sort of research and development work and uh, they do have quite a big IT, but again, they don't really have any, um, any any way to to manage uh, their their estate, and uh, this is how an attacker can help them. And uh, one of the uh, and of course the other potential um, uh, use is uh, for open source tool is startups because there are a lot of startups who just 
you know, starting up their businesses and they don't really know what kind of cybersecurity tools they need to buy to bring into their networks. And yeah, that's another uh, use case where NetHacker as an open source tool, uh, as an open source scanner can help them out. Um, one of the main tools within the main uses within an organization that I always try to tell people is very useful for an attacker is to create an asset inventory. If you remember Jeremiah Grossman many years ago said that OWASP top 10 is missing uh, uh, zero, number A0 in this list because it's asset inventory. Because if you don't know the assets that you've got, you have no idea what you're securing, right? So you need to have the asset inventory and I think we still have this problem. You go into organization and say, okay, give me a, give me a list of all the servers that you have and they will just look at your strange to think we don't have that. Right. And especially now in the cloud enabled world where you can have, you know, virtual machines and new services and, uh, spun up in the cloud, uh, with a you know, click of a button or, uh, you know, automated scripts. Uh, do you really know, uh, all the, uh, subdomains, all the hosts? Uh, all the servers that exist on your network uh, within your domain, do you uh, have a list of all the open ports on them, right? So this is like number one use of NetHacker. And of course, the other feature is that NetHacker can actually uh, take the server banners from the web servers, let's say Apache, Microsoft IS, Citrix, uh, whatever, and also the X-Powered um, by uh uh, header, and it can give you in a very handy Excel spreadsheet format an asset inventory for all your IP ranges or for your subdomain. And another great thing about NetHacker is uh, you can actually create a list of all your assets in a simple text file, right, of all your networks. So you can go and say, okay, I'm an organization. My name is, for example, OWASP.org. We own OWASP.org. And these are the uh, IP ranges where we have our assets. That's it. You give that list as an input to an attacker and it will perform scans and you, and you will then tell an attacker, oh, I want to find out all my open ports. I want to find out what other web servers running in my network. I want to find out if I have anything which will respond to admin, admin default credentials over SSH or over FTP. And these are the kind of tasks that you can do with an attacker and what you can automate. And of course, when it comes back, you will have your uh, nice uh, Excel spreadsheet with asset inventory um, and you, you will be able to figure out everything that you have. And also, what is also very important because I think these days there's a whole um, industry around what it's Gartner, I think, calls it uh, external um, attack surface monitoring, right? Or EASM. There are lots of solutions out there doing uh, attack surface monitoring. So yes, NetHacker can be used as a free and open source attack surface monitoring, but not necessarily external. If you go and, for example, scan your organization from outside, so you run NetHacker somewhere in the cloud or on your computer and you scan, uh, scan your organization's resources from outside, externally visible, well, you will get the picture of your external um, attack surface and external assets, externally facing assets and open ports and servers and vulnerabilities if you use vulnerability scans. But you can also take this tool and run it internally inside your network. You can just have it running in a Docker container. And there's another very great feature about uh, of Netaka that I haven't uh, talked about yet. It has a web UI. So um, you can actually access NetHacker using a URL and um, because it has an API and web UI, log into it and it has a search engine. 
So it is basically like a little Google or sometimes I call it showdown for your internal network um, because you can just have a search string and say, okay, do I have an expired SSL certificates? Do I have port 22 anywhere open on my system? Do I have anything which responds to admin admin? You can answer these questions using a web interface. You can start scans using web interface. Um, and uh, when the results are available, you can download the scan results in JSON or again in CSV format. So you can look at them in Excel. And of course you can export them out to other tools. Um, and web UI, I think is very important because you can literally roll out NetTacker in under three minutes in your network as in a Docker container, perform a scan of your subdomain or your IP ranges, find out uh, all the open ports, all the um, uh, types of web service and applications running, um, and then um, get the get the results straight away um, on a simple web page, and then perform search within your assets, and then download it as a as Excel. So I think this this what makes this little tool very very valuable for many organizations because if you go to a company and say, well, can you give me the list of all your service with all open ports on them? Let's see how long it's going to take them to do that. And with NetTacker, you can do it in literally um, just a couple months. We can have a list in a couple of months. I mean, it will be a couple months old at that point, but yeah. that's all good. And when vulnerability is out, right, how can you go and say, okay, uh, do you have uh, this vulnerability on your network? And people say, oh, yeah, we do use, I don't know, uh, vulnerable application, whatever that is, OpenSSL, Microsoft Exchange, Citrix, F5, or whatever other the very big vulnerabilities making the headlines. But how can you scan your whole network and find out if you have vulnerable devices, uh, sort of mass scan. And this is actually what is different um, uh, for an attacker comparing it with other popular tools, AppSec tools such as Burp Suite or OWASP Zap, uh, because tools like Burp Suite or OWASP Zap, they are different types of scanners. They are uh, web application vulnerability scanners, which as a target, they take one website. You give them, this is my URL, go and find vulnerabilities. So what Zap or Burp, will, Burp Suite will do, they will try to spider that URL. They will try to discover all the paths, all the, the, all the directory tree. They'll try to find all the forms, all the buttons, all the parameters. They will try to then tr uh, to exploit all sorts of vulnerabilities. And in the end, we'll give you the report of any vulnerabilities found in just one target. NetTacker is different because it scans a whole network. It can scan thousands or ten of, tens of thousands of targets, your entire network, for just one vulnerability. You see, you can completely flip, flip the scan. Instead of saying, scan one website for all, any vulnerabilities you can find, you say, nope, scan my entire network for just one vulnerability. Do I have anything with port 22 open? Or do I have anything with know, port 9000 open? Um, do I have anything which has... Apache-specific version running? Do I have um, uh, any any asset which has uh, which responds to this vulnerability? For example, a Citrix vulnerability or proxy shell vulnerability. Um, and most importantly, let's not forget the brute forcing. Do I have any asset on my network which will respond to default credentials? Or you can just perform brute forcing and say, okay, do I have any devices with weak passwords from uh, one of the published uh, dictionaries in Kali Linux uh, or any recent password leak? So 
these are all the questions that uh, you can actually address and answer using the attacker. And these are the questions that are not usually covered by uh, Zap and uh, Burp Suite uh, because they, they're different tools. They, they're different tools. They have different targets and they were yeah. created for different purposes. It was pen testing of one system while the attacker is the whole framework and uh, it consists of two words, right? Network and attacker. It attacks your network and then gives you a result and stores the result in its internal da searchable database. And Metasploit, I think one of the questions, I think uh, Robert, you mentioned Metasploit. So the difference with Metasploit is that uh, it's much easier to automate Metacar uh, than Metasploit. Kind of functionality, you might say it's a little bit similar, but uh, the fact that NetTacker also performs things like subdomain scans and, and brute forcing on top of vulnerability scanning, that's what makes it different. But the, because Metasploit just does well vulnerability scanning, and again, you can probably give it a range of IP addresses and network. But the great thing about NetTacker, and that's what, we're, uh, what I think differentiates it from everything else, including Nmap, you can give it a domain name. You can go and say, okay, this is mydomain.com, NetTacker will go and discover all the subdomains of your domain.com, and then it will go and hit every single subdomain in your network, and it will run whatever module you tell NetTacker to run on each target. And if you want to do a port scan on each target, it will do a port scan. If you want to discover if there is uh, a particular piece of software running, it will do that. If you want to uh, check if there is a vulnerability on any subdomain, it will do it. That, that is what is making great because, uh, of course, you can use what, what I see usually on Twitter when people make recommendation how other people would do that. They chain different tools, existing open source together. So they would go and chain, um, uh, let's say, um, uh, subdomain finder, something like subfinder or um, tool, and then it, they will chain and will give it to another tool which will resolve it into IP addresses and then it will give all these IP addresses to Nmap, right? So you don't need to do all this, um, the chain with a, with a pipe uh, in the attacker because um, it, it has this functionality built in. And that's actually what we are uh, looking to implement in the future. That's a feature called workflows. And the idea of the workflows is that the, the modules will be called sequentially in the order defined by the user in a workflow, if it, send, if it makes um, logical sense to do so. So to give you an example, for example, if I want to find out if my network has um, uh, vulnerable WordPress, a service running vulnerable WordPress application, a specific plugin, um, the problem is if you just run a WordPress vulnerability module on your network, it will be very, very slow to answer your question, earlier question, Chris, because a lot of the subdomains, a lot of IP addresses, they probably don't even run a web server, right? So if you don't know where the problem is and you start sort of blindly mass scanning everything, this is going to take a long time. However, we can write a workflow which says, okay, scan the target, perform a port scan on port 443 first. If there is a response of 443, so it is open, then try to check if there is a web server running on it, and if uh, then check if the uh, what technologies are running on it. So if it runs, for example, PHP, right, for WordPress, only after that you can run the 
specific WordPress vulnerability scan. Or you can even bundle it because we, for example, we have a WordPress version uh, module as well. So you can go say, okay, run the WordPress version uh, scanning module on the target. If the response is greater than or less than the specific version, only then proceed with the module. So you you basically chain the modules and they will uh, run depending on the results of the previous module execution. That is going to be a very valuable mo module. At the moment, we kind of have this built in with uh, subdomains and that's why people love NetHacker because you can just give it the domain name and it will go and perform it for all the subdomains. But uh, it, uh, it doesn't, Apart from the subdomain scan, it doesn't really have any other workflow. So that, that's the feature that we're working on at the moment and hoping to uh, release uh, hopefully ne uh, by next summer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, um, what's a key takeaway then or a call to action here, Sam, that would, as we kind of land the plane on, now that I know it's Network Attacker, that's kind of a little bit of inside scoop right here. I know kind of where the name came from. But what, what, would, be, what would be a key takeaway or a call to action you would have for our audience here? that they can do. Yeah, I think first of all, I will invite everyone to go and check it out. So if you do have the problem in your organization that uh, you don't know your assets, you have an asset inventory issue, all right? Uh, I would invite everyone just to use NetHacker just to find out the assets. And you can find out the assets just based on subdomains. And several organizations I uh, talked to, they were very happy because say, we can run this tool and we can find out what we have running on all our subdomains and we can get asset inventory. I think this is the OWASP A0, according to Jeremiah Rosmo, our asset inventory. That's the call to action. So this is where the uh, most useful bit is. The other, of course, uh, takeaway would be if there is a lot a big vulnerability out there making headlines, Go and check if there is a module already in NetHacker which can help you scan your entire network or networks and all your assets for this vulnerability. And if there isn't, you can actually contribute one yourself and we're coming to contribution. So if you are a Python developer and uh, um, actually nowadays you don't even need to be a Python because we've changed our modules from being Python modules to YAML modules. So actually writing a module uh, is very, very simple these days um, because it's all based on YAML, it's all text-based. So if you know what payload you want to send to the target and uh, what response from the target would indicate that there is a vulnerability, um, you can write your own module and of course contribute it in I welcome contributions from everyone. Uh, OWASP NetHacker, just like all OWASP projects, is an open source project, which means uh, we are always open to collaborators and contributors. Uh, we've been actually quite uh, lucky having quite a few students contributing. And uh, yeah, I think uh, if there's a well, latest and greatest CVE that everyone's talking about, um, Creating new modules, I think, is very useful. So major takeaway is uh, go, go and try it and see if it works for you. There are several vulnerabilities that NetHacker scans uh, um, out of the box, and um, including things like proxy shell and a lot of other older vulnerabilities. Um, perform some uh, port scans. Um, 
and uh, see if it works for you. And uh, if you can provide us with any suggestions for improvement uh, to the project team, we would greatly appreciate it. You can do it using GitHub. If you go to github.com slash OWASP slash NetTucker, because that's where the project lives. And you can just raise a GitHub issue as a new feature request or a new bug. And of course, we welcome all contributions, not necessarily code or ideas. Uh, we try to make the attacker an international tool because there are quite a lot of languages already contributed. And uh, even if you can translate the uh, command line interface or the web interface messages into different language, that will help. If you can help us with uh, documentation, if you read documentation and you couldn't figure out how to do something and then you actually uh, figure it out yourself, yeah, we're very welcome. Um, uh, we would invite people to come and contribute documentation as well. So there are many ways. Um, and uh, it's a, a relatively new tool. Of course, Nataka was only created in 2017. Um, and uh, it didn't get enough attention uh, originally, but I think it's growing. And I feel that it has a, quite a good future because it will provide OWASP with having an alternative network scanner, because at the moment we only have a web app scanner. Um, so, yeah, I think that yeah. is the, the main invite. And of course, your previous question, Chris, for the developers and how you can do the pipeline, they can, of course, uh, perform scans of the infrastructure, uh, of the cloud infrastructure in the pipeline. They can perform scans of open ports. They can, um, for example, nightly run brute forcing attacks and check that no one created uh, a weak password. Uh, and it's actually quite flexible because the developers can just take YAML code and um, automate any fuzzing tests that they would like because anything, any test that you can think of where you send a particular payload to the target and then you check what response you get back and you have your expected response. And if you don't get the expected response, you can then flag it as a finding and then you can run it overnight. You can run it in a pipeline and then get all, all the results. It's a very, very flexible system now that we've got YAML uh, and we're trying to and YAML as well, so it's not just send the receive kind of logic. We're trying to add if then else. There is already a reverse logic, so OWASP can report something as a vulnerability if it doesn't find something in the response as well. So there's a reverse logic there. Mm. But we're trying to add sort of if then else and even you know, things like while loops in, in YAML, uh, which again means sort of uh, without even knowing a single line of code, people like QA and testers can utilize this tool and. Um, use it for security testing. Yeah, that's yeah, great. So, um, yeah, so Sam, kudos once again to you and the team for all of your efforts into uh, bringing that attacker to the world. And um, I guess we just uh, we just hope you keep, keep moving forward with it. And once again, thanks for sharing this with our audience today and uh, look forward to connecting with you at an upcoming conference and uh, probably hearing another talk about NetHacker as we go along the way. So thanks, Sam. Thanks for being with us. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you for listening to Security Journeys AppSec Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at AppSec Podcast, on LinkedIn as the Application Security Podcast, or on the web at www.securityjourney.com slash resources slash AppSec Podcast. Find Chris on Twitter at EdgeRow and Robert at Robert Hurlbutt. Remember, there are many application security paths, but only one destination. <laughs>